Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, We are starting a new series this week, and for the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at biblical relationships. Biblical relationships. So uh, one of the questions you might ask is, why talk about it? Well, uh, for the past probably two years, I would say, uh, I've had many questions and people saying, we need to do a series about relationships. So here it is. All right, I hope you're happy about that. Uh, but, and I've actually been, this has been in planning for some time. Um, but I think one of the big reasons is, and I, I want to backtrack to about uh, 2007, uh, which was sort of the rise of social media. Now, uh, it was when I first got a Facebook account. I don't know about you. I got mine around 2007. And uh, from then on, the face of relationships has changed dramatically. You know, we're in a new age. We're in a digital age. And so how we relate to one another is dramatically different to what it was for a previous generation and even really 20 years ago for those of us who are old enough to remember that. And so we actually need to learn what it's like to have good relationships and there's no one better to teach us than Jesus. And so uh, we've got uh, over the next six weeks we're going to cover several different topics but this week uh, we are going to look at friendship. Okay, and we've already sung a a bit about that, what a friend we have in Jesus. So I'm going to tell you three things about uh, friendship this morning. Uh, The first is how to be a friend like Jesus, number one. Uh, Number two, being friends with Jesus. And number three, being a better friend because of Jesus. All right, we got that? So number one, being a friend like Jesus. Now, uh, in your text today, this is one of the several places where Jesus talks about uh, friendship. There's actually a fair bit in the Bible that talks about friendship. A fair bit in the Old Testament. We see that sort of um, really great picture of friendship between Jonathan and uh, David. Uh, They said, like, my soul is knit to yours, and they love one another as their own soul. There's beautiful friendship between a couple of guys in the Old Testament. And then by the time we get to the New Testament, uh, we see that Jesus actually invites uh, people into a friendship with him, which is really interesting because the big claim of the New Testament is that Jesus is God. So an accurate way to describe a Christian person might be someone that says, I'm friends with God. I don't know if you describe yourself that way, if you've heard that term before, but from the text we see today, this is quite accurate. Now, uh, if we want to be a friend like Jesus, we need to learn from Jesus. And so Jesus really gives us four marks I've given four marks from the text about being a friend like Jesus. And so I want to go through these uh, for you. Uh, The first mark of being a friend like Jesus is being servant-hearted rather than consumeristic. Servant-hearted rather than consumeristic. We see this in verse 12. Uh, This is uh, Jesus speaking. He says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, This really goes against what many of us consider to be the foundation of relationships. Sometimes we think that relationships is what you get out of it. You know, whether it be a more intimate relationship, boyfriend and girlfriend, husband and wife, you know, parent and um, child, brother and sister, or whether it just be an ordinary friendship, which we're talking about today. Often we think about it, what can I get out of it? And we think if we're not getting much out of this relationship, then we're going to drop it. 
And that really is consumeristic. It's, it's as if you know, this, we consume from the other person, and if they keep up their end, and we keep up our end, if we're both you know, giving something back to the other, then we'll keep it. But if that other person doesn't keep that friendship contract, if they're not you know, giving me what I really want, then we'll drop them and move on to someone else. But Jesus has a very different way of looking at friendship. Jesus said that you love one another as I have loved you. And one of the ways that Jesus defined himself was not being someone who just loves people for what he can get out of them. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the sort of friend that is a giver. And in fact, the Bible tells us that humanity has rejected God and yet it was whilst we were sinners, Christ died for us. God has shown us enormous and amazing love, even though we haven't been reciprocal to him. And so we see the first mark of a uh, good friendship from Jesus is one that is servant-hearted and not consumeristic. Now, this gets a little bit complex. And I want to unpack a few of the complexities of what it means to have a servant-hearted friendship by explaining uh, one of my failures from my early 20s. So I had this experiment, and you're going to laugh. I hope you laugh at this, because I can laugh now, being more than a decade ago, so that's okay. Um, I had this experiment that I was trying to work out. I was a you know, young, single guy. I thought, yeah, I could be friends with anyone, you know, and I had no problem making friends. So I'd be friends with, with women uh, and men, of course. And I thought, look, I, can, um, I had this thing going, or I would be friends with lots of different uh, other single women, and I was single as well. And I was convinced that, you know, you can be as sort of friendly as you like, but if you think in your heart that this is a platonic relationship, then that's all that's going on. Okay? So my friends used to laugh at me because they were never convinced that I could pull off this platonic relationships thing. And well, they were right, as it turns out, because um, even though I had lots, I was friends with lots of other single women around my age in my early 20s, those relationships were not quite as platonic as I thought they were, at least uh, not from the other side. And so what I was inadvertently doing was creating all these you know, relationships, which I quite enjoyed at the time, and we you know, got along really well, but I was creating expectations which weren't just friend, it was more than a friend. Now, why is that problematic? Well, I was actually, in hindsight, sometimes I only realise these things in hindsight, I probably knew that I was, you know, being a little bit too friendly at times, you know, it wasn't crossing, too, it wasn't crossing lines or anything like that, but I was being a bit too friendly at times, and what that did was make people think, oh, does he like me? Right, and the and the difficulty with that is I actually enjoyed the attention, and so for me, a lot of those relationships were more about what I was getting from them, rather than how I was loving and serving others. And so I was actually being consumeristic. I only realised this in hindsight, but that's you actually need to be careful with the way that you treat people, particularly when you're in opposite gender friendships, because not everyone thinks the same as you do. Even if you're like, hey, we're just friends. The other person's like, I hope we're more than friends. Of course, that happens. So let me say uh, that we need to check our hearts when it comes to friendships, right? Servant-hearted rather than consumeristic. Of course, the question you're going to ask me, is it, is it okay to be more than a friend? Of course it is. Right? Most, most like, married relationships start out with friendship. 
And they become more than friend and then you start dating and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks, next week, so don't worry. We'll explain everything you need to know about dating next week, okay? So just hold off for then. And I'm not preaching then, so, you know, we'll save it for the preacher. Um, that's Dr., Reverend Dr. Tim Patrick from the Bible College. going to explain everything to you about dating. Um, but it's, it's fine to become more than a friend if that's the way the relationship is going. But we must be careful because as human beings, we love attention. And often we can be really using people uh, to get what we want out of them rather than to serve them. And Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was really clear. Love one another as I have loved you. Be servant-hearted. Don't be able to get things from other people. Okay, so that's the first mark of a a friend like Jesus, servant-hearted rather than consumeristic. Second is selfless rather than selfish. And we see this uh, in verse 14. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, you might think, how does, how does like doing what Jesus commands us, uh, how does that work in our friendships with one another? Well, I want you to think about it like this. Now, uh, when you're friends with someone, like, you do stuff that makes them happy. You do things that, you know, makes them feel good about themselves. You have this kind of... Uh, most of the time it's unwritten. If you need, like, don't do friendship contracts or anything like that. But like, written down, that's a bad idea. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. But there is an unwritten contract between friends. And it goes a bit like this, that you, do, like, you keep up your part of the friendship in the sense that you do stuff that will please and bless that other person and they do the same for you. If, you just, if the other person just treats you badly all the time, well, they're not really being a friend. If they're just doing what they want, they're not really being a friend. Or similarly, if you're just doing what you want and never what they want, you're not really being a true friend. So there is a sense in which you need to be obedient to the desires of the other. Now Jesus is saying, well, and of course we know from Jesus, he's perfectly obedient to God the Father. Jesus did this perfectly. And so in the same way, if you want to be a friend with Jesus, hey, you need to be obedient to him. And if you want to be good friends with others, you need to be obedient to being kind and loving and selfless to that person, not just focus on yourself. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, talked about uh, Christian humility, which is, I think, what we're getting at here, the selflessness, uh, in a, a quite a winsome way. He said, uh, you don't think less of yourself, but you think of yourself less. Okay, You don't think less of yourself, but you think of yourself less. And I think that's a, a really good way to sum up what it means to have a selfless rather than selfish friendship. Uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, there is the, the, the really high point of friendship in the Old Testament, uh, other than between God and his people, uh, is between uh, David and Jonathan. And uh, this is in 1 Samuel 18. It sort of describes the relationship. And it says, uh, as soon as he finished speaking to Saul, so we're getting this partway through the narrative, Uh, The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. The heart of of, uh, good relationships and good friendships is looking to the needs of the other, loving others as we love ourselves, as Jesus taught us. And we see this lifted up in the relationship between David and Jonathan. Do you actually care about another person as much as yourself? Do you? Because that is what Jesus said like, makes a great friendship. Okay, so we've got the first 
mark of being a friend like Jesus, being servant-hearted rather than, than consumeristic. The second is being selfless rather than selfish. And the third is being deep rather than superficial. Deep rather than superficial. See this in verse uh, 15. Uh, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that he actually shares the deep details of his life and what he's doing with his life. And Jesus being God, that's some important stuff, right? Jesus shares the deep and deep details of his life with his friends. So they're not just servants anymore. They're closer than that. They are friends of Jesus. And we, we know there's a number of times that uh, Jesus would even tell secrets to his closest followers. Things that he said, I don't want you to tell anyone about this until I've risen from the dead. And of course, they don't even know what Jesus means by risen from the dead. And yet Jesus is sharing uh, deep and close details about himself with them. Now, we of course know that uh, true relationships, true friendships are not built on superficiality. Right? You can't just talk about the weather and be real friends. You can be acquaintances, but if you're really going to have a friendship with someone like Jesus does with his uh, people, then you need to go deeper. Now, I think there's uh, three requirements to having a deep rather than superficial uh, relationship and friendship with someone. And the first is establishing trust and not gossiping about one another. Establishing trust and not gossiping about one another. Uh, in Proverbs uh, chapter 16, verse 28, it says, A whisperer separates close friends. I don't know how many friendships have been destroyed by gossip, but it happens so easily, doesn't it? If you've been betrayed by someone and someone's shared something about you they shouldn't have, it hurts. So easily it hurts and it just breaks that trust. And so it's so important that you can confide in someone else, like Jesus did with his followers. They kept his secrets. He confided in them. He shared the deep things on his heart and they kept it to themselves. What's the second requirement? It is to go beyond superficiality. That is, you've got to break the ice. If you're making friends with someone, at some point, a person has to go deep and share what's really going on in their life. It's just, it has to happen. Otherwise, you will be superficial forever. And typically, one person has to do it. You've got to muster up the courage to go, I'm going to be vulnerable with this person, and I'm going to share what's really going on in my life, whether it be good or bad, what you're really struggling with. That, is a, that actually makes a proper and true friendship, a deep friendship. Uh, the other thing that a deep rather than superficial uh, friendship requires is forgiveness. And this is on the, other, this is on the back of um, being vulnerable and sharing what's really going on in your life with people, is that if, if you're going to be vulnerable uh, with someone, well, you're really opening yourself up to them. And, and if you're going to have a deep relationship uh, with someone, you're going to let your guard down. Now, I think this comes out with that close family. You generally treat your close family better and worse than you do other people. Right? I don't know about you, but you, like, you say what you really mean with those closest uh, to you. You don't sort of cover over it with glossy language. When you're having a fight, like, you just give it both barrels sometimes. And of course, because you're family, you should forgive one another. But a friendship like needs this same uh, you know, backstop to it. That is, if you're going to be vulnerable with someone, then they're going to let you down. 
It's just going to happen. And for those of us who've maintained long-term friendships with other people, we know that those people have let us down and we've had to forgive them or ask for forgiveness because we've been the offender. We've been the person that's let someone down when they've told us the right thing. We've gossiped at some point, said something we shouldn't have, and we've had to ask for forgiveness. And that is a backstop, really, to a deep relationship, is that you must have forgiveness in there. And you might be at the point where you say, and I love with um, young married couples, my wife and I do sort of premarital counselling, or couples about to get married, they say, we've never had a fight. And we're like, just you wait. It's coming. It's coming. And when you fight, then you'll know. You know, um, anyway, marriage is in a few weeks, so we're going to cover that as well. I'll tell you everything you need to know about marriage. Don't you worry. I'm joking, by the way. Um, now, I've, I've got to say that every deep relationship that I've had, every deep relationship that I've had that has passed the test of time has had these three requirements in it. That we've had to build trust and not gossip. We've had to go beyond superficiality and break the ice and we've had to forgive one another uh, when we've let each other down for various reasons. And, I mean, and Jesus does this perfectly. <laughs> so we're learning what it means to be a friend like Jesus here. Now, um, I guess I've, I've given you three requirements for what it means to go deep and not be superficial with someone. But there's a warning here too uh, with friendships. And it's, uh, the warning is this. Avoid crossing the line from deep to intimate. Okay, avoid crossing the line from deep to intimate. Now, I want to clarify these terms for you because um, it will be helpful. So, intimately means the relation, it's the sort of relationship that a married spouse, married spouses would share, husband and wife would share, and not friends. An intimate relationship is one that is so close it is exclusive. No one else can join it at that level. It's where an intimate relationship is one where no topic is out of bounds, right? No topic is out of bounds. And where there is almost a complete and respectful freedom to know and to be known. Now, this, is, this is getting deep. This is deeper than deep. It's intimate. And, of course, in marriage, this culminates in sex. The Bible tells us that that is the peak of intimacy. The culmination of intimacy is sex. And you don't have sex with friends. You have sex with the person you're married to. And the only thing that can uphold that kind of intimacy is the covenant of marriage. There's really, that's the only thing that can hold those things together because it's binding, it's for life, and it's monogamous. That's the only thing that can hold those things together. Now, you're going to ask me the question, I hope you are in your hearts, does this mean I cannot have intimate relationships? Uh, like if I'm a single person, I can't have an intimate relationship? Well, it means you can't have the same relationship you would with someone you're married. But no, it does not mean you can't have an intimate relationship. Because there is one person that we should all seek to have an intimate relationship with, and that's God. Think about this. Jesus is the one who we can be so close to, it is exclusive. I mean, that's kind of the, the heart of Christianity, right? It's inclusive in that anyone can come, and yet it's exclusive. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You'll see in the Psalms, which is the songbook of the Bible and the prayer book of the Bible, that no topic is out of bounds. 
Man, you can share your heart with God like no one else. Like no one else. And there is a complete and respectful freedom to know and to be known when you are friends with Jesus. And there is this beautiful sort of culmination of that relationship when we get to spend eternity in his presence as his people. The kingdom of God will last forever. So there's a sense that all of the, like even marriage is just a shadow of the beauty of a friendship with Jesus. But we must uphold also that marriage actually has a place for intimacy that other relationships don't. Now, let me say that if you're single, you can have the most incredible relationships with people. And how do we know this? Because Jesus was single. Perfect human being. Jesus was single. Now, I'm going to get more to this a little bit later on. But Jesus had the most fulfilling human relationships possible. But they, of course they weren't enough. And because he was, his like, heart was fulfilled by a relationship with God the Father. So Jesus was single and the Apostle Paul was single. And he was friends with heaps of people, men and women, married couples, all sorts. Did not mean it was any less than, it was just different. And Jesus shows us that you do not need to be married to be a true human being. Because Jesus is the true human being and he died at the ripe old age of 33 or 35 fully human and fully God and did have fulfilling and deep relationships with people. Okay. Let's go on. So I've given you, uh, and I'll spend a little bit longer on this first point because I think it's important. So we've uh, looked at four marks, or three marks of a friend, and I've got a fourth. Servant-hearted, selfless, deep, and finally, fruitful and not fake. Okay. Fourth mark of uh, being a friend like Jesus is being fruitful and not fake. We see this in verse 16. Uh, Jesus speaking again. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So Jesus is saying that if like, you're a friend with him, you will produce fruit as in your life will become better through the relationship with Jesus. Your character will grow and develop. And it's the same if you want to have a good friendship with someone else. Your goal should be that through it, you improve one another. How about that? Shouldn't that be the heart of a good friendship, that you bring out the best in one another? That's not always going to be like that. But that should be the heart and goal of it. And I think one of the... Um, Beautiful examples of this, my wife and I just sat down last night and started watching the, the Lord of the Rings uh, again, the series, so from the Fellowship of the Ring uh, onwards, and we only got about 45 minutes through it and then realised that it went for three hours and decided to go to bed, but we're coming back to it. And, um, and I've, I've read the books uh, many times as well, so I, I love, one of the things that sticks out in the Lord of the Rings is the friendship between Frodo and Sam. I mean, it is incredible. You know, it, and it's incredible uh, friendship because they really do bring out the best in one another. And you know, this, this friendship is like based on trust and this sense, and I, I wrote this down because I, I wanted to um, bring it out, this sense that they will, they will not uh, give up on each other. They will not give up on each other. Even if you know, they hurt one another, which they do, 
even if they need to forgive one another, even if they compromise one another's vulnerability at times, they will not give up. And this uh, is when uh, Sam uh, speaks of Gandalf, who sort of gave him a command. And then uh, Sam says to Frodo, I made a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And Sam says, I don't mean to. As in, he's, he's not going to give up on Frodo. He's not going to give up on this friend that he has. And they are going to make each other's lives better as a result. And I think that's at the heart of this. Is that, you know, in order to produce fruit, you've got to, you've got to stick around in people's lives. Right? We are in the age of acquaintances and consumeristic relationships and short-term, you know, easy things. And yet when it comes to actually being a friend like Jesus who's willing to stick with his people to the end, even unto death, we need to follow his example. We need people who won't give up on others, who follow these things through. And actually the fruit that will come out of that means that you will make each other better. You'll bring out the best in one another and it is a beautiful thing. Okay, so we've looked at uh, being a friend like Jesus. Uh, I want to briefly uh, talk to you about being friends with Jesus, being friends with Jesus. Now, Jesus is actually in this text talking about what it means to be friends with him, isn't he? And one of the things that I think strikes us really quickly is that it is costly to be friends with Jesus and costly to him. Jesus says this in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus is tying together, and he uses them interchangeably in this section, love and friendship together. He's saying, and really everything I've said so far can be summarized in the word love, but we need the detail. If you want to be a good friend, if you'll be friends with Jesus, you need to know what he is willing to do for you. You need to know the love that he has, which is the currency, the true currency of friendship is love. And to be friends with Jesus, we need to know that he's laid down his life for us. You see, I said that it's a costly relationship. It actually doesn't cost us that much in comparison to enter into this relationship. You know, sometimes we think, you know, and, and I've heard this many times, Say, oh, look, I'd only be a Christian if I could still do what I want. Or I'd only just, you know, really be a Christian. Because it's kind of like being a, a, what we call a nominal Christian, whereas you kind of like, you kind of believe it, but it doesn't really change your life. So are you really friends with Jesus according to this? Well, we'll no. And then there's the costly sort of form of being friends with Jesus, where you're like, man, I'm going to have to change a few things. You know, Jesus cares about all of my... And, and once you realise the implications of it, you realise everything must change. It's like one of those sales, you know, everything must go. Everything must change in your life to be friends with Jesus. So it does seem costly, right? But not when you compare what it costs him. In fact, it's a natural response for us to, you know, give ourselves over to Jesus as a friend of his when we, we realise that he's given himself over for us. The Bible tells us that Jesus did lay down his life for his friends. The whole point and the culmination of all these gospel, uh, the four, first four books of the New Testament, the culmination of all these books is God himself in Jesus Christ saying, I will die so that you might be my friends. I will die for your offences against God. I'll take their consequences upon myself. 
I will be the best friend you could possibly ever have. I will never leave you nor forsake you, even unto death. I'll take your wounds on my back. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take betrayal upon myself, even though I've opened myself up to you. That's what Jesus is doing on the cross with arms wide open and saying, he loves you and he's the best friend you could possibly ever have. And so it is costly. And when you see that, the cost that you might have to pay in your life to be friends with Jesus is minuscule. And in fact, it becomes right response. I've said this many times before, and I'd like to point back to it. There's a, a guy called Count Zitzendorf. Love that name, Count Zitzendorf. He sort of uh, led the Moravians uh, during the um, 17th century uh, in Germany. And uh, one of the things that really gripped this guy, he was a, he was a young guy in his uh, mid-20s, and he's sort of very wealthy. You don't get the name Count unless you're quite wealthy. Sort of went traveling around uh, Europe uh, because of his family, wanted him to be well-educated. And he went and saw this um, uh, went and saw this painting. I can't remember the name of the painting. Peter, you'd be able to tell me. Um, and he saw this painting. And uh, on it, uh, it, it said, you know, if it had this picture of Jesus uh, with his arms outstretched. And... Count Zinzendorf really felt like uh, Jesus spoke to him then and said, no, if thou hast done this for me, what will, uh, done this for me, as in speaking of himself, what won't you do for me? Point being, if Jesus was willing to go to the cross and die for his sin and take the eternal punishment himself, uh, like, why wouldn't I give my whole life for Jesus? And of course, he did. So being friends with Jesus is costly, but it's mostly on his side. Uh, being friends with Jesus is also something that comes by imitation. So, you know, when you spend time with someone, hopefully you become like them in a good way. And we actually see uh, all of these four marks of friendship perfectly demonstrated by Jesus. You know, in fact, the more that you grow in your friendship with Jesus, the more that you become like him. But there is a bit of a problem with this, and I want to explain it to you. You see, if we try and imitate Jesus, right? if we try our best and our hardest to be this kind of really ideal picture of a friend, you know, one that uh, is servant-hearted rather than consumeristic, and I know that's hard, uh, selfless rather than selfish, one that's deep rather than superficial, one that's fruitful rather than fake, if we try really hard to do these things, we're actually going to fail at it. I, mean, I don't know if you've tried to be this kind of friend, but it is hard. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes a lot of work. Now, how can we be vulnerable with someone and yet commit to them indefinitely like Sam did with Frodo? How can we serve someone without truly expecting something in return? I mean, that's hard, right? Because when you commit to being friends with, like, real friends with someone, you're saying, I'm all in even if they let you down regularly. You kind of start to treat them like family, don't you? It's incredible. And so trying to imitate Jesus alone does not make you friends with Jesus. There must be something else that happens. See, Christianity is not just the work of imitation. It's a work of transformation. And I've said this you cannot become a friend like this unless you are transformed into one by becoming friends with Jesus. By becoming friends with Jesus. 
One of the questions uh, we might ask ourselves about this level of friendship with someone else is, if they really knew me, if they really knew all of my darkness, how could they possibly love me? You might think of this like in a more intimate relationship, sort of a dating or spousal. But if they really knew everything about me, how could they possibly love me? And that is a fear that many of us hold and actually holds us back from being proper friends with someone. We, we fear opening ourselves up. And yet in Jesus, we have someone who really knows us. He knows all your deep, dark secrets. He knows what you think even before you're thinking it. He knows your heart right down deep to the innermost parts. And he says, I love you. And I would never give up on you if you be my friend. That sort of love changes someone. That sort of love actually gets into your heart so that you have that kind of love to share with others. And that's the way it happens. Not just through imitation, but through transformation. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the friend of sinners. The Bible tells us that Jesus died for sinners, who people who weren't being good friends with God, who'd messed it up, you and me, and he loved us as the ultimate friend. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture. Okay, so we have uh, looked at, number one, being a friend like Jesus. Uh, number two, being friends with Jesus. And I want to finish uh, with being a better friend, number three, because of Jesus. Now, uh, I guess, and this is really by point of application, this, uh, this last point. There's lots of different uh, spheres that we can have uh, friends with in our lives, we have friends in our lives. And Jesus actually had different spheres of friends in his life. So um, I'm going to talk about these in uh, four categories. So we've got the one, the three, the 12, and the 72. All right? And we're going to talk about this in terms of friendship. So the one. Jesus um, had a best friend. At least that's what John says. In John's Gospel, you'll read into it that John calls himself the beloved disciple. He doesn't mention his name there. He's been a little bit humble, but not quite. It's like a humble brag. I don't know you know about that. And he talks about himself as the beloved disciple, as in he felt like he was best friends with Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Now, so there's definitely a place for being best friends, following Jesus' example with someone. Now, typically, that means when you're spouses, you become best friends with the person you marry. And that takes a lot of work because you're, both, you're intimate and open with that person and you need to become friends. And we'll talk more about that uh, when we talk about marriage, but that's typically how it happens. If you're single, you can, like, go ahead, have a best friend. That's a wonderful and great thing. Jesus had best friends. Okay? So that's, uh, that's the first fear of friendship. And typically... Friend, relationships grow with investment. You invest in your relationship with that person, then you're going to grow into better friends. That's number one. Uh, number two is the three. The three. So Jesus had a close-knit group, Peter, James, and John. So John, who was in the one, was also in the three. Notice that. He's sort of his close group. And many of us will have a close group. Two or three people that we really, like we can actually be deep with. That's a good thing. You can't really be deep with everyone. And some of us have different sort of uh, levels of relational capital. Some of us feel like we can be deep with 50 people. Some of us can be deep with one. That's okay. 
that's okay. But Jesus is saying there's different spheres that you can have uh, depth of relationship with. So he had his three, his close guys. They're the ones that he confided in. They're the ones that he said, hey, don't share this with anyone else until they've resurrected from the dead. Then we have the 12. So Jesus had his 12 disciples, and he's actually speaking to them here. He's saying, I call you friends. Now, the level of relationship that you have with the 12 is going to be different to the three and different to the one. And so it's okay in your mind to go, actually, some people I'm going to be really close with and some people I'm going to be less close with, but I can still be some sort of friend with these people. And, so, and as you get older, those friends will separate, like, they'll be over, spread out over years and distance and that kind of thing. But you can maintain those relationships now. We have wonderful technology that enables us to do that. And then Jesus had his 72. He had 72 friends. Now, again, he called them friends, like they would have been friends of Jesus, but they certainly weren't as close as the 12 or the 3 or the 1. And again, that's similar for us. When we think about, like, how many people can I handle in terms of friendships, that's pretty much it. In fact, uh, a lot of social science uh, tells us, and psychology tells us, that that's pretty much all people can manage in terms of closeness of friendships. Once you hit that sort of 70 mark, you're really, you're really running out. Like, if you've got 2,000 Facebook friends, like, good luck to you trying to keep up relationship with them, but typically you can't really handle that many. Now, I've, I've said, I've used these different spheres of friendship uh, on purpose because I want us to think through, like, we can't cultivate this deep sort of relationship, uh, this marks of friendship equally with everyone. It's just not, not going to happen. Even Jesus didn't do that. But we can be genuine in our efforts to do so. So I think less is more is a good principle, but be open with others. So that's the different spheres of friendship, of being a, friend, a better friend because of Jesus. Uh, I want to talk about different seasons of friendship as well by way of application. So this is, uh, I want to talk about being single, widowed or divorced uh, and being a friend. Now, they're similar categories, but not the same. Single, widowed and divorced. Now, one of the beautiful things about um, if you're a single person in any of those different categories is that it's lifted up in the Bible as a good thing. And, and often we don't feel like that. So it's important that we shape our way of thinking about friendships when we're single as being a good thing and our status, which you know, God doesn't care as much about it probably as we do, our status being actually good in his sight. Again, I've mentioned this before. Jesus is single. Paul's a single man. These guys wrote most of the, oh, Jesus you know, was the main player in the New Testament. You know, four Gospels written about him. Paul wrote most of the rest of the New Testament himself. And yes, yeah, single. Intentionally so, even. And uh, Paul talks about in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 7, about the benefits of being single. It's actually better. It, it, it means that you, can, you have more freedom. Uh, for relationships and for ministry. And so that's a good thing. And we see, again, with Jesus, he's able to be friends with lots of different people, men and women, uh, married couples. Paul's the same. One of the couples that stands out that he was friends with was Priscilla and Aquila. Right? So you see these uh, dynamic uh, single people who are friends with many, and it did not hamper them. In fact, rather than hampering uh, their ability to relate to others, it increased it. So it's a very uh, positive thing. And I would say, like, if you feel down about being a single person, then you need to look to Jesus. 
uh, because his friendship needs to be the thing that fills up your cup so that you are able to then pour out yourself and be friends with others without needing to demand things from them. Okay, uh, I want to talk now also a different uh, season of friendship. This is friendship for married people. Now, this is an interesting one. There's not much teaching on this, so I'm going to take a little bit of time to teach on this one. Firstly, there's a transition from being either single to married or married to single. That's really hard. So how do you handle friendships? I remember when I was uh, single and then got married, my relationships with people of the opposite uh, sex changed. Heaps. And that's just natural and normal and just part of it because I had a new best friend and I'd known her for less time than my other female friends. But I was like, no, this is an exclusive intimate relationship and so this is like my number one relationship and I'm going to invest in this the most which means every other relationship must change. I don't have that same level of intimacy. I don't have an intimate relationship with anyone else. I might have, and, and the, the deepness of those other relationships change. So we're just going to be aware that it's a, that's a difficult change for a lot of people. And probably more so is the change from married to single, widow, divorce, uh, that kind of thing. That is a massive change for people. And as a church family, we have heaps of grace for people who are in that situation and love people in that situation because they are wrestling really hard because it's such a fundamental paradigm shift to go from uh, being married to single in the various ways it happens. And so actually, when you're in both of those situations, you need good friends around you. So this is like me saying, church, you need to be good friends for people who are in those situations. You'd be really good friends, amazing friends for people who are transitioning uh, from being uh, married to single. Now, the single to marriage, I think you have to be understanding as well because uh, things are changing and they're they're getting used to it. And there's a few, um, I guess, principles uh, that I... There's a principle I think I want to talk about, particularly for the transition from single to married. And I've mentioned it already. Like, this person that you're marrying is now your best friend. That's like when you, when you get together with your uh, husband or wife-to-be and you stand up there on that day, the big you know, wedding ceremony, you make your vows, you're saying essentially, you will be my best friend for life. You know? B-F-F-L. All right? <laughs> That's what that means. And so... All of the beautiful marks that Jesus talked about, you know, servant-hearted, selfless, deep, fruitful, are most exemplified in one person, in a relationship with one person, when you get married. And you will cultivate that relationship for the rest of your life. And that means it is exclusive. No one else should have that level of relationship with your spouse that you do. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that you can't have other friends, but your best friend, this is when you're married, must supersede every other relationship. Must supersede every other relationship. And we'll get more to that uh, in a few weeks' time. Okay, I want to finish with this. Uh, Being a better friend because of Jesus only works if grace is the glue. It only works if grace is the glue. Let me go back to our friends uh, Frodo and Sam. So, as you track through the Lord of the Rings, nine hours of you know, movie watching. But anyway, once you get to the end, uh, the Return of the King, and Sam and Frodo are on this like quest to defeat uh, evil. 
uh, Frodo's been carrying this ring of power, which is like filled with evil and malice. And they're sort of coming up the mountain where they're going to throw the ring into. And Frodo just gives up. He's like, I can't do this anymore. And he's been wrestling. He's been weighed down by the, the weight of evil for so long. He's like, I can't go on any longer. And we've been waiting for this moment for a long time as they're heading up this sort of fiery mountain. And you know what Sam says? He says, well, I can't carry the ring, but I can carry you. And so Sam pick, get this, picks up his friend when he's exhausted too and carries him the rest of the way. These two are expecting nothing but death in return for defeating evil. And yet the final act, their expected final act, is one of selflessness and servanthood, of laying down one's life for the other, literally carrying him on his back to save and to serve others. Now, that culmination of the relationship between Frodo and Sam really points to Jesus in such a beautiful way. Because what Jesus has done for people who actually weren't friends of his, you know, the Bible's really clear, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The sort of thing that Jesus does for people who weren't friends with his is so like undeserving and filled with grace because we can say, hey, like what a friend we have in Jesus. We can sing this song. You know, he carries our burdens for us. And yet, and we've done nothing to deserve it. We haven't been a great friend to him. And that's because of his grace. That's because he says, I love you so much. I will open my arms to you and be vulnerable to you and be the best friend you could possibly ever have even before you knew it. Will you come and be my friend? And that kind of grace, when you are willing to go to the end for someone else, will be the glue that gives you good friendships for life. Okay? Uh, I'm going to pray. band's going to come up and we're going to sing one more song. Look, Jesus, what a friend we have in you. What a friend. Uh, you are amazingly kind and good to us, even when we weren't good to you. Thank you for your work on the cross. Uh, thank you for the way you demonstrated friendship for us. Help us to love one another and be good friends like you are to us. Uh, help us to live for you, uh, Lord, the way that you died and rose again for us. Uh, change and transform us. Lord God, we pray in Jesus' name.